I'm Alex Wong, and the Wong Takes start now. Hey, y'all. It's December 2nd, 2019. Sorry I wasn't able to get an episode out last week. Uh, just busy with it being Thanksgiving and all. But it is already December, the last month of the calendar year 2019. It's come... Uh, just like that, and we're getting toward the end of the football calendar, unfortunately. We're getting into the uh, postseason talk in both college and the NFL, and plenty's happened over the last two weeks. I'm going to kind of skip over last week and just get straight into this past week. And there was a lot of fun on Rivalry Saturday. Rivalry week, really. Um, we got a lot of interesting matchups, a lot of fun ones with a lot of hype going into them. And for Week 14, probably the most hyped matchup coming in uh, was Ohio State and Michigan. Obviously, Ohio State is really good this year, and I believe that throughout the year, and I've said this multiple times, they've been the most consistently best team, is what I would say. And... They came into this matchup, coming into the big house, knowing that they were pretty substantial favorites. And if Michigan was going to beat them, it would have to be an off day for Ohio State. Um, and Michigan would have to play like they never played this year. And, well, that didn't happen. Um, maybe in the first quarter, uh, we saw Michigan's offense be able to keep up a little bit with the track meet that was going on early. Um, but ultimately, Ohio State was just too much, um, and they showed that they're able to keep this level of consistency throughout the the game uh, that Michigan just couldn't. I think part of it is when you have a run game as strong as Ohio State and you're able to, quite frankly, impose your will the entire game, there isn't really a matchup. Uh, there isn't really a way to lose. Um, just because of the consistency you're going to be able to get. And if you look at the box score, Ohio State put up 14 points in every single quarter. J.K. Dobbins, uh, in, in a game in, in a game of football in general, that's being uh, finding a little bit of a return to the run uh, amongst its good teams, with the exception of maybe what, whatever the hell is going on in the SEC. J.K. Dobbins ran the ball 31 times for 211 yards and four touchdowns. Um, While Justin Fields only had to throw 25 passes and complete 14 of them, um, but for an absolutely gaudy average of over 20 yards of uh, reception. Uh, Heath himself threw for four touchdowns as well. And so this offense uh, is just so complete. And if you look at, they had a 100-yard receiver. um, they They spread the ball around. I mean, eight guys caught a pass, five caught more than one. And this offense is just so deadly uh, that it's hard to figure out how you're going to stop them. And Michigan, even though, you know, they look good early on, um, but they're going to have to come to grips with the fact, and they have, I think, with this current losing streak to Ohio State that now sits at eight, is that Ohio State's just at a different level than they are. And until Michigan can pull off um, an upset win and get some momentum in their favor. Uh, the rivalry has 
all the indications that it's going to continue in this path. Because in college, what you get is the reason college football is so cyclical um, and that dominance doesn't or, or dominance lasts and then it fades just as fast is because of the constant turnover, right? I mean, guys can only stay for a maximum of four years. And, but what happens is when you win, you, you get better recruiting, you get better coaches, and you continue to have success despite the turnover. But then once you start to lose that momentum, uh, your program can just go straight downhill. I mean, look at Rutgers. And so this Ohio State program, as long as they've got this edge over Michigan, they're going to keep having that edge. Um, I don't see them relinquishing it. Uh, in the near future, and they've won 15 of the last 16 matchups, um, which goes to show that that theory has some standing. I think Ohio State going toward the playoff, their one-week spot, uh, I don't really see one, honestly. (laughs) Uh, They're just a really complete team, and the defense really showed that in the second half as well, and I think there's no reason they shouldn't be the number one team as it stands heading into the playoff. I expect them to beat up on Wisconsin, even a loss to Wisconsin. They'd probably still be in the playoff uh, just because of the difficulty of their schedule. Uh, And I would say the same thing about LSU as well. And so I don't think Ohio State has too much stress heading into the final uh, final weekend. Um, But, you know, we'll see how they perform against Wisconsin in the Big Ten uh, championship game. The other absolute thriller uh, was Alabama and Auburn in the Iron Bowl. Now, weirdly, this was an Iron Bowl that probably had the least amount of expectations coming in. I mean, Alabama was kind of, even though they were ranked, even though they were ranked five coming in, uh, we kind of understood that they were going to they were going to need uh, a lot of luck to get into the playoffs, just because they weren't going to be playing in the SEC championship game and they hadn't beat a ranked opponent all year. Auburn, meanwhile, um, I've always said that they're, they they always seem one year away, and this year they always, they really seem one year away. Um, and this and a win against Alabama would go a long way towards cementing them as uh, having some hope heading into next year, and even the rest of this year with Bo Nix at the helm. And this game delivered. I mean, we're we're seeing a shift in the SEC from being a predominantly defensive league, which is what it's been for most of my lifetime, to a league full of offense and increasingly relying on the passing game uh, to make to win games for you. Um, we see that with Joe Burrow in LSU, of course, um, and then Tua in at Alabama, who, even though he got hurt, um, you saw that you they, the Alabama, the Tide were able to plug in Mac Jones, more or less, into the scheme of that offense and still have it run pretty efficiently. Um, and, of course, Bo Nix on the Auburn side getting a lot of the attention on that team, though Booby Whitlow still doing a great job uh, in the run game. And this game was just back and forth, a lot of fun, exciting plays. Um, and ultimately it came down to Alabama missing a field goal, and... I saw a stat, I believe it was on ESPN, that said Alabama's missed more field goals uh, in recent years than any other team in FBS. And part of that is because uh, 
they take so many. Um, but also, I mean, just Alabama struggled to find a good kicker, and I think part of that is the legacy of bad kickers at Alabama coming in knowing that you're going to have to make a lot of these pressure kicks uh, can wear uh, on a guy. But nevertheless, uh, Alabama fell. And I think Auburn now really feels like they're in good hands um, with Bo Nix. Even though this game was a Jordan-Hare, I mean, there's a lot of pressure coming in. And he's shown that he can play well. Um, sometimes he just makes big mistakes. In this game, he didn't. No picks. Uh, didn't have to do too much. 15 for 30. And one touchdown is defense. Uh, actually did end up helping in one case with the picks, 100-yard pick six. And I think he showed a little more poise in this game than we've, than we've seen in prior matchups. And I think for his maturity, you know, that's a good sign that he can demonstrate that growth uh, possibly into next year. Auburn will probably come in ranked uh, in or n- at least near the top ten. And so he'll ha- and they'll have a tough schedule as always, and he'll have those expectations coming in. But I think this game demonstrated that to some extent – um, we don't have to worry about him being able to handle them. Alabama, meanwhile, they did really well uh, playing with their backup quarterback. And once again, I think part of it is the system. Um, they ran a lot of plays in this game. Najee Harris, 27 carries, 146 yards. Mac Jones had a great game as well, uh, even though he did make some mistakes. 26 for 39, 335 yards, four touchdowns, two picks, one of which uh, you know, wasn't his fault at all. One of them was just a really bad throw. Uh, for pick six. The other one, you know, it, it was a bad throw, but it, nowhere in your mind do you expect that to take, be taken back for six as well. I think this Alabama team, uh, they don't need to overreact. Um, you know, the, the Alabama fans, they're a tough bunch. They're a notoriously tough bunch. And with two losses in the regular season for the first time, I think this decade, is not going to be happy with this outcome. But if you look at their two losses, you know, it's this, this isn't the look of a program on decline. They got beaten by Joe Burrow in a tight thriller, and Burrow's going to be going to the league next year. And they got beat by Auburn in the Iron Bowl, which is always, it always feels like a coin flip even if it always isn't. And that was only by three points, and a made field goal definitely could have shifted this game the other way. So I don't think Auburn or Alabama needs to worry too much. They're not going to make the playoff this year. They'll probably still make a good bowl. If you're an Alabama fan, um, obviously you're disappointed, but I wouldn't be stressed about the future. I mean, as long as Saban's there and he has the clout and respect amongst recruits that he's always maintained, he's not going to have trouble um, finding good players and running a tight ship. Local hour, Cal, uh, beat Stanford. Check out my uh, podcast, Unranked and Unfiltered, for that. Uh, bit.ly slash Berkeley pod on all uh, platforms, including Spotify. Um, but I was that was just an amazing game. And then Cal coming out uh, with Chase Garbers, playing against UCLA, going to the Rose Bowl and winning. Puts them at 7-5 and five for the year. And I think this program has an interesting... It, it's going to be difficult uh, to forecast next year for them. Because you'll get the return of Garbers. And I believe Christopher Brown as well. Um, but you're, you're getting the return of a quarterback that's already a living legend at Berkeley. 
However, you're going to be losing some key pieces on defense, most notably Evan Weaver, of course. And it'll be tough to, to replace that. I think if you get a little more, and I've seen a lot of calls for Fireball Baldwin, and um, I guess I'm inclined to agree. I would like to see a little more creativity in the offensive play calling, and I think if you let Garbers, uh, you continue this plan of what, making Garbers throw first, but allowing him to use his legs as well, um, could give a boost to this offense. The defense is going to be the question mark, but if this scheme remains in place, I think they have a good shot um, at holding teams under uh, you know, 24 points a game uh, like they've been doing consistently this year. And I think if Cal can go out, win their bowl game, finish the year at 8-5, and five, they'll be at a really good place because the Pac-12, you know, if they, they stand to finish second in the Pac-12 North, um, and that's no small feat. And if they continue this pace, they'll have a good shot at and maybe take an upset win over Oregon. Um, and they're right in the hunt. And Herbert's leaving this year. So, you know, you've got a lot of uncertainty in the Pac-12 and in the division. And I think Cal has a good shot of, of making a run at it next year if they can continue um, the momentum that they've taken from this season. So looking at the college football playoff, uh, rankings. Ohio State's going to stay number one with this blowout win over Michigan. And most of the other teams took care of business. LSU destroyed A&M. Clemson did, with, did that with South Carolina, and UGA did it with Georgia Tech. Alabama's obviously going to fall from number five. Uh, Utah will take their spot, presumably, in the playoff. And Oklahoma will move up after beating Oklahoma State. So your, your, your college football playoff standings for next week will be, uh, unless barring something crazy, Ohio State, LSU, Clemson, Georgia, um, Utah, and Oklahoma. And what's going to be interesting is how championship weekend plays out. I mean, you've got LSU and Georgia probably in the playoff quarterfinal. I think we've, uh, well, no, it's not a quarterfinal. I mean, if Georgia loses, they're out. Um, but if LSU loses, they're not out. So we don't got a quarterfinal there. But it's going to be tricky for the committee because Clemson will probably take care of business against Virginia. If they lose, I think they're out given strength of schedule. But let's make some assumptions, okay? So OSU, they're a lock. LSU, they're a lock. Clemson, let's call them a lock. So you basically got basically got three teams fighting for that fourth spot. And for Georgia, it's winning in. You throw an LSU win onto their resume, um, you're probably going to have two SEC teams given where the committee has put them right now. Uh, that's what I would probably vouch, or, vouch to say. But where things get to start, where things get tricky is, let's say Georgia falls. Then you've got Utah, let's say they win. Or you've got Oklahoma. Let's say they win. The Big 12 championship game, by the way, uh, this weekend will be Oklahoma and Baylor in a rematch uh, of the very interesting or very big comeback from Oklahoma um, a few weeks ago. And so you've got this interesting question of whose resume is better because I presume Georgia's going to lose that one. Um, I mean, you never know. Um, but that's what I would... That's my prediction um, for this game. So let's compare them. You take a look at Utah. 
on their resume they've got USC, maybe it's a quality win. Washington, eh. You basically got them beating up on their conference. Um, and it's not a bad conference. Pac-12 is actually pretty good this year. Um, and then, of course, they would have the win over Oregon if they were to win. Oklahoma, meanwhile, of course, you've got Texas in the Red River shootout. You've got Oklahoma State that they beat last week. They got the Baylor win. On the whole, I think Oklahoma State's resume is better. But given where, and if they beat Baylor again, of course, it would be pretty big. But if you consider where the committees put them, it would be pretty, um, there would be a lot of, I guess, anti-Pac-12 bias called. Uh, if Utah did not make the playoffs after beating Oregon. And it puts the committee in a tough position having this many good teams, and you're, you're set, you've set yourself up for a controversial finish. I don't really know exactly how it's going to wind out, end up, um, but we'll, we'll know by next weekend. We'll, that Sunday will be the selection show, and we'll uh, know and we'll be able to dissect it. Um, but based on where the committee has these teams, I think, assuming Georgia loses, Utah's a win and in. And Oklahoma's going to need some help. A lot of help, really. Losses from both Georgia and Utah. Um, but that's just my opinion, and it stands to be seen what the committee thinks. Great weekend of football in the NFL as well, starting with the local hour and, well, the leadoff game anyway. Even if it wasn't local, the Niners and the Ravens in a matchup of two really good teams, 10-1, 9-2 in M&T Bank Stadium in the rain in Baltimore. And going into this one, the Ravens were the favorite, and they definitely deserved to be the favorite. I mean, they came fresh off of absolute destruction of the Rams, although the Niners destroyed their last opponent, the Packers, as well. But it, more importantly for the Ravens, it was at home. And with the conditions uh, being the way they were, I think it favored the Ravens because they're used to playing in this, in, in this style a little more than the Niners are. And it ended up, after looking like it was going to be a shootout early, being a hell of a slugfest. Only six points in total scored in the second half. And the Niners sort of were able to keep Lamar Jackson in check after that first half where he just totally gashed them and looked unstoppable. I mean, the thing that struck out to me about the Ravens that was remarkable was their ability to get yards on first down. And particularly, every single run looked like it was six, seven, eight yards when you don't put yourself behind the sticks and set yourself up for second, third, and short, uh, and, and fourth and short even, uh, with the way that their offense runs. You're more likely uh, to keep the defense on the field and stay on the field yourself um, and just flat out tire them out. And that's what it looked like they were doing. But the Niners sort of found... Um, an answer which was to play the run heavy um, and just kind of leave their secondary to play one-on-one with those wideouts, more or less. Um, and they were sort of able, and part of it is the weather too, but they were sort of able to contain Lamar Jackson to just get, you know, three, five yards instead of first downs on every play. And so, if, and so the Niners were able to keep the game in hand and ultimately, it just you, you could kind of sense toward the middle of the third quarter that this game was probably going to come down to who had the last possession. And the Ravens did, and the Ravens won because they had Justin Tucker. And he had a pretty big 49-yard field goal to win the game. 
But ultimately, I think what the Niners proved in this game was that they aren't pretenders. You know, their two losses right now are to a 9-2 and team in Seattle playing tonight uh, against Minnesota. And now this Ravens team, who's 10-2, and they don't have a bad loss in their schedule. And the Niners are going to have a, a tough schedule. And with the Seahawks in their division, if the Seahawks win today, it'll make it even tougher because the Seahawks um, would hold home field. Uh, and, or sorry, would own the tiebreaker and would have a chance to win the division, uh, putting the Niners in the fifth seed, even if they have a good record. But the Niners have a tough schedule coming up. New Orleans, Atlanta, who didn't look as good, and then the Rams and Seattle. The defense looked as good as it has uh, in a while. The offense continued to roll for the first half and kind of got stifled in the second half. But I think the Niners demonstrated that something that I've been waiting to see for a while from them, which is the run game coming back. It, it had been stifled a little bit in, in the last month or so. Um, and getting Moster to be a sort of shot in the arm for the run game, I think, was huge for them. Um, because if they can demonstrate they can do that going forward and get back to their early season formula a little bit against some tougher competition, they're set up well for the playoffs. Um, where that type of thing becomes crucial, being able to run the ball and get yards on first down like the Ravens did a lot of, for a lot of this game. And I think those are some of the lessons that the Niners took away, that I took away too from this one. Also in the NFL, we had some kind of craziness. The Cincinnati Bengals got their first win against the Jets. Uh, the Tennessee Titans continue to be for real, going to 7-5 and five against the Colts. The Dolphins beat the Eagles, who are in a tailspin. The whole NFC East is just a hot mess. I mean, the Cowboys uh, looked not super good on Thanksgiving, and they're 6-6. Six and six. Now the Eagles had a chance to move into a tie for first, but lost to the freaking Dolphins in 5-7. Five, five and seven. So someone's got to win that division. Um... Also, the Patriots lost to the Texans, the Texans franchise's second-ever second win against New England in, in, a, in a surprising one. And the Patriots' offense uh, does not look good right now. The receivers are not able to get generate space, and Brady's having to uh, stay underneath and isn't able to be as explosive on offense as that team is used to being. The, the race to the finish in this one is going to be interesting because we've got a good amount of uncertainty heading into the playoffs, and especially in the NFC. I mean, you look at the Niners and the Saints and the Seahawks and Packers. Those are four teams, uh, and even the, the Vikings as well, that could really make a run at the Super Bowl. And even in the AFC, the Bills are creeping up on New England, now just one game back. Um, and the Bills have one game left to play against New England. Who knows? We could actually get a tight division race in the AFC East, whoever would have seen that coming. Um, and then, of course, the Ravens um, looking as good as ever against the Niners and the Chiefs hanging back there at 8-4 and four and probably going to take their division again. And they've still got Patrick Mahomes um, and almost made it to the Super Bowl last year. So we've, we're set up for a good amount of parity right now in the, in the NFL. And it's going to be really fun watching how all this unfolds in the playoffs. I think they're going to be as fun as they've ever been uh, this season. So I'm excited for that. Um, and I think we're all excited for a good rest of the season in the NFL. Quick take.
So the NBA has been discussing some schedule changes um, in recent years. Um, this is from Paul Quebec, Kasabian, Bleacher Report. Uh, you've got a shortened season by four games, reseeding in the playoffs, which I am all for, and a midseason tournament, which is interesting, um, that Mark Stein of the New York Times reported on Monday uh, that the winner could get an extra draft pick. Now, that definitely adds something into the mix. The, in the NBA, you only get two draft picks, or you only have two rounds of the draft, as opposed to seven in the NFL and you know, dozens in Major League Baseball. And so an extra draft pick could be huge. I think that's one way to incentivize it, but I'm still not 100% sure what the, uh, re- I guess, reasoning behind a midseason tournament is. I mean, why have it in the middle of the season when teams are starting to get fatigued? Why not just have it in the reg- early in the season like college basketball does? Kind of let everyone know, kind of be a beacon. Hey, we're back on, you know, and get some fun early season matchups between really good teams. Um, I'm not quite sure why you'd have it in the middle of the season. But, you know, a draft pick, I think, is substantial enough to at least get the franchises to buy in. I don't know how much some of the players, especially with all the player movement that's been going on in recent years, would buy into something like that. Um, But definitely, that'd be enough to get the ownership group involved. Um, And It's an interesting development. I'm curious to see how all this NBA stuff shakes out. Thanks so much for listening to The Long Takes. We've only got a few more episodes left in the calendar year and a few more weeks left in the football season. Um, But we'll be with you probably throughout the playoffs. Um, and uh, it will be a lot of fun. Check out the podcast everywhere, bit.ly slash thewongtakes, thewongtakes at gmail.com. Send questions and voicemails, etc. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and I will see you, this time I think so for real, next week.